Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Yogi. Nothing personal word of the day today is Yogi, as in Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra was a catcher for the Yankees, number eight, number retired, caught Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series, became much more famous. Actually, he's a Hall of Fame player, so he's really famous for being a player, but very famous for Yogiisms that are called, which is when he says things like this. When you see a fork in the road, take it, something like that. Coco, did you hear my phone? I forgot to turn it off. I'm sorry. So one of the yogiisms that's pretty famous is the following. It's never over till it's over. Or it's never over. Is he the one who said it's never over till the fat lady sings? I think he just said it's never over till it's over. Anyway, it's a yogiism because we're doing a World Series recap because last night, while you may have been sleeping, and judge you by the ratings, many of you were, Although the ratings were better than the NBA Finals, by the way. More people are watching the World Series than the NBA Finals. I wonder why. I guess we can talk about that. After game one, the Dodgers crushed the Rays. The series was over. They were doing the jingle jangle in the Dodgers clubhouse, getting ready to stick their finger right in the hole. Except there was game two to play. You have to win four. Blake Snell takes the mound. Remember Blake Snell, the Cy Young Award winner from 2018? Blake Snell, the guy who was pulled out in the fourth inning of the game in the league championship series. Blake Snell became famous for playing video games during COVID, during the pandemic. Blake Snell, who became famous for walking off the mound and saying, what the F are we doing? Well, Blake Snell took the mound for game two. First inning, no hits. Second inning, no hits. Third inning, still no hits. Fourth inning, no hits. We're watching the game at CBS Sports HQ. We did a pregame show. We're saying to ourselves, we got to go up. We got to go live. We could have a no-hitter through five innings in the World Series. Hurry up, check. Who were the last no-hitters in the World Series? Well, Don Larson, perfect game. Roy Halladay had a no-hitter. That's it. Blake Snell. And I said, Blake Snell, no-hitter. He's lucky if he goes five innings. He's a five-and-dive guy. He's not going to go nine innings. He's already walked three guys. But he's got eight punchies, I was told. This could be real. Get ready. Who recognizes that music? Coca, do you? Blake Snell comes out for the fifth inning. Nothing. No hit. Nothing. Uh Oh, a walk. Chris Taylor comes to the plate. The number nine hitter does something that hasn't been done since Kirk Gibson in 1988 from the nine hole. Now, Kirk Gibson was a pinch hitter. The Los Angeles Dodgers are a National League team, so very often the pitcher hits in the nine spot, but it's still a stat. There has been no home runs out of the nine hole since Kirk Gibson in the postseason, since Kirk Gibson in 1988. 
Chris Taylor, the pitch from Blake Snell after having walked another guy. It's a home run. No hitter. Gone. Shut out. Done. A two-run Johnson by Chris Taylor. Chris Snell looks in the dugout. Kevin Cash deciding, does he walk up the three stairs? His mask below his chin. The drama is overflowing. Puts the mask down. Spits. Looks at his paper. Looks at his pitching coach. Looks at the mound. Mask up. Ah, one more hitter. Nope. Got a hit. Guess what happened next? Blake Snell pulled. Four and two thirds innings. He couldn't even get the win. In comes Nick Anderson, my pick for potential World Series MVP. Comes in, finishes out the fifth without giving up more runs. Pitches the next inning, gives up a home run. Gave up another home run, which is a concern if I'm the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell goes to the dugout, puts on his sweatshirt, looks a little despondent. The Rays, are they in trouble? The Dodgers, they're not hitting. They got the home run by Chris Taylor. That was nice. Will Smith had a home run. That was cool. But Brendan Lau, the guy who's hitting 107, he's hitting nothing. He can't hit the side of a barn. This is an all-star, by the way, having a terrible postseason. Goes deep. Then he goes deep again. And the Tampa Bay Rays win the game. They get a two-run double off Dustin May, who came in for the Dodgers, who had a complete bullpen game. They started Tony Gonsolin. He went one inning plus, that's it. They went through seven pitchers. So what's happening right now inside those clubhouses? Well, the first thing that's happening is that the Rays won what was an absolute must-win game. Who didn't bet the Rays? The Rays were a plus, meaning if you bet the Rays, you got more than just your money. If you bet $100, you got back like $150. Or $1, you get back $1.50. Everyone assumed the Dodgers were going to win this series running away, and they were therefore going to win game two. Not me. The nothing personal pick of the day was the Rays. It was simple. Do you know that if you bet the Rays to win the series before yesterday's game, it was minus 400 if you wanted the Dodgers? That means one to four. You had to risk $4 to win one. But if you were on the raise, if you risked a dollar, you'd get back $3.30. They were acting as though the series was already over. Those are the odds that come with a 2 nothing series lead. So everybody just assumed that game two to the Dodgers, and then you've got Bueller ready to go in game three. Walker Bueller is their best starter. Walker Bueller was held until game three. You knew when we predicted the rotation. We told you the reason why is the number three starter in a regular seven-game series with off days pitches game seven. And if you think it's going to be a long series or a short series, a short series doesn't matter. Everyone pitches once if you sweep. If it's a long series, then you've got your ace that goes in game three and in game seven. And if you're down three to two going into game six, you can even pitch your ace on three days rest. Seems fine. Not a bad plan. 
the Dodgers in their cocksure way, smarter than everybody else, said this is exactly how we're going to do it. We're not going to start Julio Urias, who pitched three innings in game seven of the LCS. We're going to start Tony Gonsolin, have a very quick hook. We're going to assume that Mookie Betts will do what Mookie Betts does, and Corey Seager does what Corey Seager does. Corey Seager did hit another home run. Sorry, Derek. Corey Seager is now the most prolific shortstop in terms of home runs in a postseason and hits in a postseason, I believe. And I think Arena from the uh, Rays is going to beat another record that Derek had. But by the way, Derek really has the real record because he only had three rounds of playoffs and these guys this year have an extra round. So they have four rounds of playoffs. So Tampa had an approach to yesterday's game that was very much a game seven approach, meaning that everybody was ready to go. And the script that we wanted to see happen was Blake Snell through five. And then you go right to Nick Anderson, Peter Fairbanks and Diego Castillo. That's what I thought they'd do. Out goes Snell. In comes Anderson, gives up a home run. In comes Fairbanks. Everything seems fine. But then Kevin Cash, in a great game seven move, goes to Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop is that side-arming lefty who was brought in to face Cody Bellinger. Gets him out. He stays in. He gets a full inning of work, faces three batters, one at the end of an inning and two to start the next inning. Or maybe it was two to end an inning and one to start the next inning. I think it was one and two, actually, because then Diego Castillo, their closer, comes in, and guess what he does? He faces one batter, throws three pitches, gets the save, and the Rays tie the series. Is this an example where the pupil is actually smarter than the teacher? Is this an example where the Rays learn from Andrew Friedman, who was their president of baseball operations, and realized what needs to happen to win a game? and how to write the script and then make it happen? Or is it just a bunch of hogwash where the fact is that Blake Snell pitched fine, the Rays' bullpen was lights out, Mookie Betts didn't do anything in yesterday's game the way he did in game one, and whoever hits is going to win, whoever pitches is going to win, and all of the analysis we do, all of the predictive theories that we use, all the analytics, none of it matters. Just go out there and play if you've got two teams that are similar. But how can they be similar? It doesn't even make sense. This is the World Series of payroll disparity. No, this is the World Series of two completely equally matched teams, one of whom is excelling with young players not paid a lot of money, one of which is excelling with older players being paid a fortune. And this is a series that we said is going to go seven games. And it is. You know, as I think about what's happening today on the off day, today's an off day from the World Series, and I'm pretty focused right now on what teams do during the off day because I remember our off days of the World Series. They were travel days. We played two games in New York. We won the first game, lost the second game, and then got on a plane, got back to Florida that night, and we used the off day to come in just for a workout, but we had traveled from New York back to Miami. This year's World Series, there is no travel. It's so much easier on the players. But what's going to happen is the Rays and the Dodgers are both going to go into uh, Globe Life Field in Arlington, where the World Series is being played, and they're going to have workouts. Now, what is it that the Rays should be working on? Fundamentals, which you'd think that a Rays team would be perfect at. Well, last night it didn't cost them, but one of their players, Margot, was on third base, one out, 
ground ball to short. He goes on contact, gets thrown out at the plate. Does that sound familiar to the night before when Mookie Betts was at third base, one out, ground ball to first base, Mookie Betts goes, and he's safe at home. What was the difference? The difference was Mookie Betts had a way better secondary lead than Margot. And I'm saying Margot because I'm blanking. I think it's Manuel Margot. I don't know why I have the name Manuel in my mind, but I think it's Manuel Margot. So Manuel Margot gets a, a jump on contact, but he's got to go more than the 65 feet that Mookie Betts had to go. Now, you know, there's 90 feet between bases, but Betts was 30 feet off third when he started. Margot was 20 feet off third and the extra 10 feet killed him. You go in today and you work on fundamentals. You work on secondary leads. You work on going the other way because the Dodgers are shifting so much. Brendan Lau, who has been pull happy and hitting 107 because of it, all of a sudden goes opposite field and hits two home runs yesterday. That's what he works on during batting practice. Your bullpen arms rest. They don't throw a pitch. They don't take one swing in batting practice. They show up. They stretch. Done. That's it. Because then in game three, when you've got Charlie Morton going, you've got that same set of bullpen arms ready to go. What about the Dodgers? They're coming in and they've got to work on everything. Kike Hernandez had a big error that stopped a double play. It would have been a double play if he hadn't made the error. I'm taking, I'm making the Dodgers take infield. I'm making the Dodgers take BP. So they have a better approach again against this raised bullpen. But instead of, and what happens in baseball is BP is thrown by coaches. And coaches throw 65, 70 miles an hour, and guys are going in BP, their first set of BP, they go the other way, their second set of round of BP, they're pulling the ball, third round of BP, they're going to center field, fourth round of BP, it's like home run derby, they're just trying to hit it as far as they can. I am calling on anyone we can find in Texas, and I will have planned this in advance, I don't want my coaches throwing BP to the Dodgers. I want velocity. The Rays come at you with 99, 100, 101 from Fairbanks. 98, 99, 100, 101 from Tyler Glass now. Diego Castillo, 97, 98, 99. Nick Anderson, 96, 97, 98. I want the Dodgers to prepare and practice with that velocity. It's critical. It's not ordinary. It's not normal. People will scoff, but I'm going to insist they do that because I cannot let Velo beat me or I'm going to lose this series and I'm going to have to fire my manager, Dave Roberts, and I'm not going to be a successful president of baseball operations if I'm Andrew Friedman. And worse than that, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to have a ring on their finger and I'm not. It's an off day. Game three is coming up. Don't ever think a series is over before it's over. Well, you know, we picked the Rays, so we're 30 and 24. That was a great pick, by the way, and the nothing personal pick of the day. No baseball game tonight. I'm going back to Thursday night NFL for my pick of the day. Here's the rule in football. It's a simple rule. Whoever the Giants are playing, I don't care what the record is against the spread. It makes no difference. When they play the Eagles, they lose. They're playing the Eagles. The Eagles are only favored by three and a half. I think the Eagles win that division. Anyway, the Eagles are my pick for the division winner. The Eagles are my pick to beat the Giants by three and a half. I'm trying to go up by a touchdown again. Right now, I'm winning 30 to 24.
Okay, the next subject requires Coca to wake up and press a damn button. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. Thank you, Coca. Sorry for the late start today. I have a new camera. I don't know if you can tell. If you're watching this on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson. It's now attached to a light, which is attached to a computer, which is attached to a soundboard, which is attached to my ear. There's 59 cords. We tried to make it more simple and it didn't quite work, but there is a new camera. Can you see me? Can you see me now? Can you hear me? Can you see me now? I clipped my nose hairs, Coca. Can you tell? My eyebrows need a, need a little work though. Okay, so you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter at David P. Samson. Get in my Instagram. Ask me a question. Can you believe what happened that caused you to ask this amazing question? This is college football related. Are you covering this on your other shows, Coca? Pick six, cover three. Those are CBS shows. They're awesome. But come to nothing personal if you want to hear about something college football related that'll blow your socks off. The question, does self-imposed punishment work as a way to avoid major NCAA punishments? Huh? Do you want some, do you want to know what we're talking about? Have you ever heard of a school called LSU? They've got a coach. I think his name is Ed Oregon, but I think you pronounce it differently. Ed Origeron. Is that what it is, Coca? Origeron? It may not even be the coach. Is it Nick Saban? Oh, here it comes. He's spelling it out in my ear. He's whispering. Oh, Jerron. <laughs> oh, Jerron. LSU, remember that guy? He's very colorful. He can't really understand what he's saying. He's got the deep, thick Southern accent. Guess what? LSU is breaking rules left, right, and center. LSU has been investigated by the NCAA for so many recruiting violations and so many other sort of financially based violations that they are totally screwed. So they decided this is great. Imagine committing a crime. Let's say you commit white collar crime, financial fraud. You're being investigated by the federal government. You knock on the door and you say, I have an idea. I'm going to go into my house. I'm going to put myself under house arrest Monday through Friday from nine to five. Then I'm going to leave just to get takeout if Uber Eats doesn't deliver. Then on weekends, I'm going to want to golf. But after that, I'm going to come right home. And by doing this, I would like you, federal government, not to punish me because I'm punishing myself. And when I punish myself, that should be good enough. LSU released publicly yesterday that they were going to do the following self-imposed punishments. Have you ever done this when you've done something wrong, like your hand gets caught in the cookie jar and you slap it, like you slap your own hand? You can't slap your hand hard enough that it hurts. That's the whole point, right? That's why people go to these crazy S&M places, right? They want to be hit hard enough that they feel something. I mean, that sort of hurts me because I'm not an S&M guy. I mean, I actually don't want to do that anymore, Coke. I'm turning a little red. Self-imposed punishments. Here they are. Number one, this is a good one. I got to read this to you. They are going to decrease their scholarships by four each year for the next two years. One of the things the NCAA does when it imposes punishments, it cuts your scholarships. 
Why do scholarships matter? Because that's how you get people who can't afford LSU, who are really good at football, to come to LSU. And you pay for them to go to school. You pay for their tuition. They come in, and then they play football for you. Now, they may get paid on the side. Don't get me started. But their tuition gets paid. Now, if there's a player who's deciding between LSU and Alabama and Nick Saban struts in on his private helicopter, lands on your field in your front yard, comes out like a Dr. Seuss machine with dollar bills everywhere, shows you a piece of paper. Hey, you want to go to Bama? Let me show you the student body in Alabama. And he opens up an entire photo file and he says, look at this document. You can come here for free. It's a scholarship. Then Ed Ogeron comes by. He's got his head down, totally despondent. He lands on spirit from seat 49A. And he says, hey, we'd really like you to come to LSU. Look at our student body. But we're going to need $42,000 a year from you because we don't have a scholarship. Eh, four players per year. Do you know any scholarships that are on a team? LSU will survive. But that's one thing they said, we're doing that, therefore don't punish us. Next thing, this is really a good one. They're going to reduce recruiting visits and communication with potential recruits. They're going to reduce their official and unofficial visits by 12.5%. They're going to say that they're only going to have, instead of 168 days when they can have off-campus contacts, they're going to say we're only going to do 147 days, 21 days fewer of off-campus contacts. Boy, they're going to be busy. They're going to have to visit all these players off-campus in 21 fewer days. (gasps) The horror. Fewer days in the Holiday Inn Express. Do you know why this is happening at LSU? Do you know, Coca? Do you know what a booster is? A booster is someone who boosts up a college program. By boosting up, I'm not talking about by using buttresses like at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Boosting up as in with C-A-S-H-M-O-N-E-Y. Cash money. That's what they're boosting. They're giving money to athletes. Period. They're giving money to coaches to give to athletes. They're giving money to parents of athletes. There's a booster at LSU who gave $180,000 to the father of an LSU player. $180K. We don't even know about the car, the rent payments, the clothes. Some of these student athletes have better clothes than I'll ever have in my life. Yet they're not allowed to get clothes. They're not allowed to have money. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Boostus. 180K and he got caught. Everybody should get caught. All you have to do is look at a player, look at the car the player drives, look at the house the player's family lives in versus what it used to live in. When was the house purchased? When was the car purchased? When were the clothes purchased? And you got yourself a problem, but they're going to self-impose. But here comes the headline, ladies and germs. They have ruled that Odell Beckham Jr. is not allowed on campus for two years. We're going to self-impose banishment of Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. Why are we even talking about Odell Beckham Jr., the wide receiver for the Cleveland Indians? Why would we even discuss the fact that the wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns would not be allowed in LSU? Do you remember when Odell Beckham took the field, when LSU won the national championship, when Joe Burrow was the quarterback, Odell Beckham? Odell Beckham 
book him, Dano. That right, he should be booked because it was so illegal. Odell Beckham takes the field as though he were going to the best strip club in Atlanta, starts whipping out a wad of cash, and he made it rain. He made it rain, hundos. He's given hundos to the LSU players on the field. The announcers are in shock. The viewers are in shock. What in the name of holy hell is going on? But don't worry. LSU after the game, when asked, said Odell Beckham, that was Monopoly money. That was fake money. He was just doing it to be funny. Rut row. There was nothing fake about that money. That was real money. LSU had to admit that Odell Beckham was on the field giving real money, which, by the way, the only way that money was fake is if Odell Beckham printed it himself at a home printing press, and he did a damn good job of it because I'm watching it live at last year's national championship game, and it looked real to me. And I remember thinking, this is not a good look, but don't worry, LSU is on it. They banned him for two years. So you're asking me to self-impose punishment help? The answer is, that's like begging for a plea deal. When you commit a crime and you go into the authorities and say, hey, I did it, I didn't do it is what you actually start with. I didn't do this. But if I did, I only want to get two years if I admit that I did it. But I didn't do it. But let's talk about what happens if I did do it. What LSU is saying to the NCAA is, hey, I didn't do any of this stuff. But just in case I did, I already have been punished. It's not going to work. The NCAA needs to come down hard on LSU. Will they? It's not even a wait to see because it's a hard no. The NCAA will look at these self-imposed punishments. They'll look at the fact that LSU is one of the, are they a power five or a power 10 or a top five or a, they're, what are they called? They are, they're in the power five and they're in the SEC. This is not like a schlep school doing this. This is a school that is needed by the NCAA. You're asking me whether I'm cynical. You're damn right I'm cynical. I think these self-imposed punishments may work and they shouldn't. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Stan Van Gundy. But first, we're going to review one of the best movies I've seen in a long time with Hugh Grant, but not Elizabeth Hurley and not Divine Brown. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think there'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We're going to get to Ryan Fitzpatrick and what a sad state of affairs it is in Miami in the Fitzpatrick household. But first, we're going to review a movie called The Gentleman. It's a movie written and directed by Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie, that great movie maker. Remember, he did Snatch and Lock, Stock and Five Smoking Barrels. He's brilliant. I understand that you can't always understand the amazingly deep accents of some of the actors in some of his movies. The Gentleman stars Matthew McConaughey as an American drug dealer who lives in what I assume is London or outside of London, somewhere in England, and becomes one of the great drug kingpins of all time. No longer a penny anti-drug dealer. He grows his own bush. Hugh Grant plays a character named Fletcher. Hugh Grant, by the way, Divine Brown is that whore who he got the, uh, the handy from when he was dating Elizabeth Hurley. Hugh Grant, this great romantic lead, this great sort of actor from Notting Hill and Love Actually, just who doesn't love Hugh Grant? He's now become a character actor as he's gotten older, and he's damn good. Hugh Grant plays a private detective who is trying to get Matthew McConaughey to give him 20 million pounds because he believes he's got the upper hand on Matthew McConaughey, that he knows something Matthew McConaughey's done. Matthew McConaughey's henchman is played by Charlie Hunnam, Hunman. He was just in a movie, Triple Frontier, that we reviewed. I can't remember how to pronounce his name. I th- it's either Humnan or Humnin. Either way, he's in the cast. It's a great movie. It is done in a way where you've got Colin Farrell, who plays this sort of gangster in a tracksuit, who is this hero who steps in at various parts of the movie. It's done in flashbacks. It's done in flash forwards. It's done in a way that may be confusing in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, but it's not. If you can get to the gentleman, please do. I strongly recommend. It's about a buck 54. So it's six minutes shy of 120. It's about 114 minutes. I got through it. I didn't check my phone one time. That is the new criteria. We don't give five stars. We don't give five bats. I used to do that on Levitard. The way I'm going to review movies now is how many times I check my phone during the movie. This was a zero check movie. By the way, that's the highest compliment ever given the dopamine addiction that I have to this bad boy. Okay, let's talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. For whatever reason, Ryan Fitzpatrick... Uh, is no longer the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins named Tua Tagovailoa as their new starter. He's the guy who started for Alabama, got drafted. Everyone was tanking for Tua. The Dolphins didn't get the number one pick, but they got the number five pick. Tua fell to number five. And we have a wait to see that another rookie named Justin Herbert is going to be better than Tua, have more TD passes. Herbert is now starting for the San Diego Chargers, which by definition are not called the San Diego Chargers anymore. They are the Los Angeles Chargers. Thank you, Coca. So Tua 
had the hip injury. Remember, is he healthy? Is he not? Remember, we did a segment where Brian Flores said, hey, I'll play Tua when I'm good and ready. And I reminded you that you're going to play Tua when Steve Ross tells you you're good and ready. Well, guess what? That day happened. The Dolphins announced that Tua, after a bye week against the Los Angeles Rams next week or a week from this week, so October 31st or November 1st, will be the starting quarterback. Not a big deal. But Ryan Fitzpatrick had some quotes that were staggering. He gave a press conference. My heart hurt all day. It was heartbreaking for me. I've been a starter. I've been benched all kinds of different ways, but this one just really more so than any of them. I just felt fully committed and invested and felt like it was my team. I basically got fired yesterday and my day today consisted of Zoom meetings with the guy who fired me. That's the head coach, even though it wasn't that coach and sitting in a room with the guy who replaced me. That's Tua for four hours. And he's getting all of this attention. Everyone is playing the little tiny violin for Mr. Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the definition of a journeyman. Literally the definition of a journeyman quarterback. He's played for what I believe is 20 out of the 32 NFL teams. Maybe 25. I think he's played for every NFL team. His jersey room in his house, he had to buy a bigger house to put up all the jerseys he's worn. He's not a Hall of Famer. He is the guy who comes in to be your quarterback when you're waiting for someone else. I always call it waiting for Fitzpatrick as a little funny thing, the Samuel Beckett waiting for Godot. It's waiting for Fitzpatrick to be benched because that's the only time he's ever playing is when someone else is going to play or gets hurt. And then you wait for him to be benched for the next guy. He's been fine. He's a team player. But he's going to tell you and convince you, the fan, that he didn't know that Tua was eventually going to take his starting job. You're going to be convinced that when it was a three and three team that he thought that he was going to be a quarterback for the rest of the season. It's laughable. You're going to be convinced that Flores had never spoken to Fitzpatrick and that he found out that two was starting from an outside source, from a text alert. Hey, I'm the king of being found out things by text alerts. But I do it for fun. When I got the text alert that I had been fired, because that's I got a text alert right on my phone saying David Sampson is not returning as president of the Miami Marlins. I hadn't been told anything. I wasn't despondent. I knew I was getting let go by the Jeets. But it's a fun story to say, oh, my God, I was on the way to the office. I got a text and I turned around and I went the other way. Ah, give me a break. Fitzpatrick, it's good, right? It's a good story. But he knew. His heart hurt all day. Where? Where? <sighs> Stan Van Gundy's back in the game. Have you ever watched NBA and Jeff Van Gundy, who coached the Knicks and coached the Rockets, and he had those big bags under his eyes when he was the assistant coach for Riley and then the head coach of the Knicks, one of my favorite coaches of all time, just exhausted. And then he became a analyst for uh, somebody, some network, and his bags are gone. And he works with Mark Jackson, one of his former players, and Mike Breen. I think it's ABC, ESPN. And Stan Van Gundy's his brother who coached a bunch of teams. 
He coached the Magic. He coached the Heat. He coached the Pistons when he was hired to take charge of both personnel and coaching. It didn't work. He got fired. He was out of the game. He got hired by Turner. He was an analyst. Guess what? Stan Van Gundy was hired yesterday again. Stan Van Gundy, the brother of Jeff Van Gundy, got a job coaching the best young player in the National Basketball Association, a job that was very much sought after by everyone but Doc Rivers, a job coaching the New Orleans Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans have a player named Zion Williamson. That's good. They've got a nice little group of players. It's half the Lakers team. Remember, that's the team who traded their team that got the Lakers traded their whole team to the Pelicans to get Anthony Davis. And then the Pelicans got the pick, the number one pick, remember? And they drafted Zion Williamson, that guy from Duke. He was hurt most of last year, so he didn't win rookie of the year. And he went into the bubble and almost got his team to the playoffs, but didn't. So Stan Van Gundy is now the Pelican head coach. Why is that noteworthy? It's a good thing that my only way to see is that Mike D'Antoni is not going to coach a professional team this coming season. Because I would have done a wait to see that said that Stan Van Gundy will never be the coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. And then I would have been taught to say, never say never. Why am I saying that it's not a good fit? Well, let me read Stan Van Gundy's, Stan Van Gundy's quote. I'm excited to join a talented New Orleans Pelicans team, Van Gundy said. And he announced it on Twitter. Hold that because I'm going to get back to it. It will be an honor to work with our players, boring, and to work for Mrs. Benson and David Griffin, Trajan Langdon, their staff, and the great people of New Orleans. I can't wait to talk to our players and get the process started. Don't use the word process in a tweet because then it reminds people of the Sixers where you're supposed to trust the process and it never works. That word should be eliminated from all PR the coaches do. No more process talk. So why am I worked up? Because Stan Van Gundy said that it's an honor to work for Mrs. Benson. Who's Mrs. Benson? It's not Robert Guillaume. Robert Guillaume played Benson, by the way, Coke, and I know you've never heard of that show. It's a TV show from the 40s, I think. Mrs. Benson is Gail Benson. Name sound familiar yet? Gail Benson is the woman who owns the New Orleans Saints. Sound familiar yet? She also owns the New Orleans Pelicans. Anybody? Anything? Bueller? Bueller? Do you remember all of the issues that Mrs. Benson has? Where the New Orleans Saints employees and PR people were being used to help the church in New Orleans to cover up all of the pedophilia that was going on in the churches and parishes around New Orleans? Where Mrs. Benson is extremely conservative? And I'm not here to tell you You shouldn't be conservative or you shouldn't be liberal. Do whatever you want. I always ask you to educate yourself and take a stand. Be you. As a listener and viewer of Nothing Personal, I encourage it. Stan Van Gundy is an unapologetic, major left-wing man. When I say major, Stan Van Gundy joined Twitter. Stan Van Gundy uses his Twitter account. And by the way, he's a famous guy. He got tons more followers than I ever got, although I'm growing. Just follow, by the way, please. I'm judged on this crap. It's not crap. If you're watching Twitter, I'm thankful for your white check. Stan Van Gundy took to Twitter 
the minute he joined with one thing in mind and one thing only to let the world know that Trump and everyone on the right side, everyone who wears red is in the wrong in every possible way. He is outspoken. He is intelligent. He is the opposite of Gail Benson. What fascinates me about the decision by Stan Van Gundy, do you have to agree with your owner politically? No. But Stan Van Gundy is the type who wanted us to believe that he had certain principles and that he is never going to vary from those principles. What's going to happen when Gail Benson, as his owner, asks him as the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans to do something with the church or to do something in terms of the Republican side of the aisle? What's he going to do? He's an employee. A, it's inappropriate for Benson to do it. Let's start there. But if you think that Stan Van Gundy is going to sit idly back, it is a very surprising hire by Benson. It's a surprising acceptance by Van Gundy. But it just goes to show you, you dangle four years and a boatload of cash, you're going to get your person. Everybody's political these days. It's just sort of how things are. My wait to see today is uh, Stan Van Gundy is with the Pelicans. My wait to see is that Stan Van Gundy will lead the Pelicans to the playoffs in 2021. But the second part of the wait to see requires a new contract because the second part of the wait to see, Coca, Stan Van Gundy will not last the full four years. Now, they only gave him four where I said Ty Lue won't last the full five years with the Clippers. That's a slam dunk. I don't believe Stan Van Gundy can last four years with the New Orleans Pelicans, not because he won't be good enough as a coach. No, no. It's simply because he will not be able to handle working with Gail Benson. They will clash like oil and water. And eventually, when a clash happens between an owner and a coach, guess who wins? Yeah, the owner. Wait to see Stan Van Gundy leads his team to the playoffs in 21, but doesn't make it the full four years in New Orleans. Okay, I had a correction. I just want to point out, please, and you know this is true. When I say something wrong, which I do every show, just write to me on Twitter or Instagram me or text me if you have my cell phone and just tell me I was wrong and I'll correct it on the show. I was talking about Mookie Betts the other day. And I was talking about when Mookie Betts had those great defensive plays in game one of the World Series. And I said that he robs home runs like Bonnie and Clyde rob banks. And I said, hey, isn't that a good metaphor? I don't believe that I could have said that. But if I said it, I said it and I wear it. I was wrong. When you use like or as, it's a simile. When you say that Mookie Betts robs home runs like Bonnie and Clyde rob banks, that's a simile, not a metaphor. I appreciate you telling me that. I should have been better because I know the difference between a metaphor and a simile. That is a correction, and that's done. Okay. This is such a crazy political season. You know, we talked about Stan Van Gundy. We talked about people using Twitter. We talked about all the potential ballot fraud and voter fraud and voter interference and election interference and all the things that everyone is alleging that's happening right now. Not much proof of any of it happening. We are 
under two weeks away from the election. I've been very clear that I want you to vote. I haven't said vote blue. I haven't said vote red. I just want you to be involved. I want you to care. In my career, 18 years running a team, I was very clear on one point. The winner of an election will not be able to say that I was not supportive of that candidate. Even if I didn't like the candidate. Because when you're running a sports team, you have got, you have no choice. You have got to get people in office who like you, who are going to work with you. Do you know what a pain in the ass it was when we had Mayor Carlos Jimenez as the mayor of Miami? Thank God his term is over. Not that I care. I've been gone for three years. He hated us so much because he was so against the stadium deal. And he was a commissioner at the time who voted against the stadium deal. And I didn't give him the time of day because he told me he was a no. I knew he was a no. I didn't care he was a no. I didn't need his vote to be a yes. And he wanted me to kiss his ass and I wasn't going to do it because I knew I couldn't convince him to change his vote. He became mayor, tried to make life miserable for me. Didn't work, Carlos. And now you're not mayor anymore. You're trying to win a seat in Congress. How's that going? Anyway, I want to make sure that if you give money to the left, you give it to the right, you give every way, you give your time, you give your, your team You declare the gifts, but you make sure that people know they have access to your games, maybe meet a player. We never would host any sort of political event. We never would come out with an ad saying we are supporting blank. Well, yesterday and this year, everything's changing. The Seattle Storm are a team for the WNBA, a women's professional basketball team. They're in Seattle. They came out last night openly endorsing the Biden-Harris ticket in the November 3rd presidential election. I've never seen a team come out with an ad. Now, I've seen owners support, plenty of owners support Trump, plenty of owners support Obama, plenty of owners support Biden, plenty of owners support both. But it was as an owner. It was as an individual. I have never seen an owner have his team or her team or their team come out and say, this is who we are in favor of. But the players got together with the ownership and they came out and said, this is who we're supporting, this is who we're voting for. I got a problem with that. I really do. And it's not that I disagree or agree with who they're supporting, that's not the point. I don't like that now, as another professional team, that I may feel pressured into giving an endorsement as a team. I would have been fine with every member of the Seattle uh, basketball team, of the Seattle Storm. You want to come out and say you're voting for Biden? Come out. You want to say when you're the owner, you want to come out and say you're voting for Biden? Come out. But when you hide under the umbrella of the team name, that's when it's gone too far. Do it individually. Because really, when you come out for one side or another, do you know what you're risking? Say it with me. You're risking business. It's always better if it's nothing personal. Here you go. Here you go. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.